make sure that we're not quenching the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is flourishing in us. And as I think about you, I think some people think, I got enough on my plate already, Pastor. I mean, I'm just trying to make ends meet, trying to get the kids educated. I, you know, got to get a new alternator for the truck. Uh, price of food keeps going up. And, and, and I know the temptation as we start this message tonight is, you know, I'm, I don't need more on my plate. And I thought about that. And my response to that would be, yes, it, does, it is more on your plate. You, you need to learn, take the time to learn about, out of, out of your busy schedule, take the time to learn about the Holy Spirit and make sure that you're thinking about the Holy Spirit tomorrow. So we are adding something. But, but let, let me say this. So it will, it will involve some more work, but not near the problems going to happen if you ignore the Holy Spirit. Think about it from that angle, too. Yeah, you, you can turn off what I'm saying tonight. You can say, this doesn't involve me. This doesn't interest me. I got too much on my plate. I'm not going to get up thinking about the Holy Spirit this week or any of that kind of stuff because that's too much work. Let's see how much work comes into your life because you've ignored the Holy Spirit. Let's see how many problems come into your life where it would have been much easier to go ahead and change the oil than to think you don't have time to change the oil and your motor blows up on you. You follow what I'm saying? Does that make sense, Sharon? So think carefully before you just dismiss this this evening that you have too much on your plate. Now, chances are you're going to have way too much on your plate if you don't take a serious interest in this. So who is the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Number one, again, we got three points. Who's the Holy Spirit? What does He do? And how do we quench the Holy Spirit? This should be of great interest to you. The Holy Spirit is often referred to in Scriptures as the Holy Ghost. So when you say Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, they're, they're one and the same. They're just referred to, to the, same, um, the same element in two different ways. Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is often referred to in Scripture as the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the third person of the triune God. In Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Three in one. Can I explain how that works? Nope. And I don't know of anybody that can. But God is Jesus. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is, is Jesus. That's just one element of the Godhead, the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is very much God. We can relate to the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit because He demonstrates elements of personhood even though He is a spirit. And I've heard people say the Holy Ghost is a person. Well, I don't think in the sense that we think of persons. I, I don't think He has a real body. And, you know, for me, a person needs to have a body. But He definitely has elements of personhood. In other words, it's not this spirit being that we cannot comprehend or we cannot relate to. 
when he is described, he is described in ways that we can relate to. Like a man, the Holy Spirit has knowledge. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? The spirit knows things. So the, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. The spirit of God knows stuff. Okay, so in that sense, the Holy Spirit is a person for sure. Also, like man, he has a will. So, are we capable of knowledge? Yeah, the Bible even says pursue knowledge. Do we have a will? We sure we do. So does the Holy Spirit. But all these work is that one and the self-same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. The Spirit is giving to man as he desires or as he wills so in that sense though the holy spirit may not have a body he is like a person in the sense that he has knowledge he has a will and like us he has emotions but they rebelled and vexed his holy spirit therefore he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them in the old testament a group of people vex the Holy Spirit, uh, antagonize the Holy Spirit. So we have knowledge, we have a will, we have emotions, and that is described of the Holy Spirit. And we learn about the Holy Spirit as we talk about who He is, that God gives the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit to reside in every believer. When you get saved, He takes residence in you. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which we have of God, and ye are not your own? So if you are born again, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And I believe you recognize that anytime you feel the prompting to do the godly thing, the biblical thing, there's only one explanation that you would even go in that direction or think about that. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. Very real, very much a part of us. And it is given to us. Now, let's look at what the work of the Holy Spirit is, okay? We have an idea of who the Holy Spirit is. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know like a person, he has personality, he has will, he has knowledge. And we know that God, through the Holy Spirit, lives in us when we're saved. To do what? What's the purpose? Well, I'm going to go through these quickly because we've got, what, ten of them, I think. And we still have other information after that. So I'm going to go through these quickly. But I want you to understand, it's a wonderful gift that the Lord has given us, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does many things. Number one, strives. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. This striving evidently implies that man by nature is opposed to the spirit of God. My ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts your thoughts. But the spirit strives with man, trying to get us to do the right thing. The spirit convinces us, John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Talking about the spirit. 
and of righteousness and judgment. Conviction is the first object of his striving. He labors to make the sinner sensible of his guilt. You do something wrong, your response might in part be your conscience, but if you're born again, it may be your conscience and the work of the Holy Spirit causing you to feel guilty about what you've done. The Holy Spirit quickens or makes us alive. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The word quicken is used in the King James Version of the Bible, and it means to revive or to make alive. If something is living, it is quick to quicken. Something is to bring it to life or to restore it to its former flourishing condition. So we are made alive in Christ. We are quickened through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us, Ephesians 1.13. And whom ye also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. After you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit, when you get saved, moves in. And one of the things it does, it seals you. It, it seals you in your relationship with God and that you are a child of God and the ceiling makes sure that he never loses you that you cannot drift away yes I believe once saved always saved no I don't believe anywhere in the Bible that it teaches that you can lose your salvation and one of the reasons is the verse we just read there number five the Holy Spirit does a bunch of stuff Romans 8, 16, witnesses, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God's Holy Spirit confirms the validity of our adoption, not by some inner mystical voice, but by the fruit He produces in us and the power He provides for spiritual service. The fact that you know that you are saved in part is possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number six, intercedes, Romans 8, 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, all our praying is aright and is done by the help of the Spirit, is done by the help of the Spirit dwelling, dwelling in us and influencing us. When we have needs and we come short of words, the Holy Spirit within us is connecting with God so that God intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit also calls, Acts 13, 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. How else can I explain my call to the pastorate when I was in uh, the Chicago suburbs working at a church there? Uh, I was a Christian school principal. And um, the call to the pastorate's a whole different ball game. And I felt that prompting and that God was calling me. And... I feel that God calls me, but I, but I also feel that God can call you to sing in the choir, to help in the, the nursery. Amen, Jan? God calls ladies to, to help in the nursery. 
or doing any, you know, it doesn't have to be full-time service. He ordains, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. It is, again, kind of saying the same thing that we just said, calling and ordaining are really one and the same. John 14, 16, the Holy Ghost, our Holy Spirit, comforts, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He does indeed comfort, and he commissions. And again, that's similar to ordaining or calling. So that they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Our missionaries, we want to believe that they are called to those mission fields. So, briefly, we've had a brief study of who the Holy Spirit is. It is indeed a spirit, but with, with personhood characteristics that show us that he's, he's intimate with us, he's interacting with us. It's, it's not something we can't conceive of. And we know that we have the Holy Spirit when we get saved, and we know, and that's just a partial list of everything that the Holy Spirit does. So, Paul tells the Thessalonians, quench not the Spirit. And once you consider all that it does and how important it is, I mean, if you're quenching the Spirit, well, let let me look back at my list. If you're quenching the Spirit, then um, you're resisting when the Holy Spirit is trying to convince you. Or if you're quenching the Spirit, it's going to hurt your witness. If if you're quenching the Spirit, it's going to hurt your effort to pray and intercede with God. If you're quenching the Spirit, then you, you may miss the call of God to something. God may have some of you... He wants you in the, uh, in the choir. But if you quench the Spirit, because that's one of the things the Spirit does. Maybe you're miserable and you're filled with anxiety. Well, maybe you're quenching the Spirit because one of the things the Spirit does is comforts you. So, how do we grieve the Spirit? Well, the Bible states actually there are Three warnings, not just grieve the Spirit, but we can quench the Spirit in several different ways. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 7.51, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. And then the verse under consideration tonight from 1 Thessalonians 5.19 quench not the Spirit of God. So we are warned time and time again, do not grieve, do not resist, do not quench the Spirit. And when you understand what all the Spirit does and what you would miss out on, the last thing we would want to do is to quench, resist, or grieve the Holy Spirit. So, the million dollar question is, okay, I don't want to resist, I don't want to quench, I don't want to grieve, Um, so how do you do it? So I'll know not to do it. Well, 
I want to look in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. It doesn't use the word quench. It uses the word grieve. And they're synonymous with one another. So over in Thessalonians, he just says, quench not the spirit. But when you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, it says something very similar in verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I think when you look at that verse, that's instead of saying grieve, or instead of saying quench, it says grieve. And then you look at the context. I think the verses before that and the verses after that give us a pretty good picture of how you could grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. So we read in verse number 30 of Ephesians 4, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Well, let's, let's look at the verses immediately preceding that because over in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, as he closes that letter, he just boom, boom, boom. He changes the subject in each verse. Okay, pray without ceasing and then quench not the Spirit. But over in Ephesians chapter 4, as he talks about the same topic, except using the word grieve, He's dedicating more time to it. And you read where it says grieve in verse 30. Let's go up to verse 24, just preceding verse number 30. And I think the list he has here shows us how we can quench or grieve the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you don't seek change through God. Because in verse 30, he says grieve not the Spirit. In verse number 24 of that same chapter, he says and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're told to put on the new man. In other words, get in church, learn the Bible, read the Bible, let it change you. And it will in so many wonderful ways. But if you don't do that, I think it's implied very well here that you're grieving the Spirit. So you quench the Spirit when you don't seek change through God. You quench the Spirit when you lie. The next verse down says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And if you are one that's known for telling little white lies or giant whoppers, whatever the case, you can rest assured you're grieving the Spirit. He's not going, you're not going to hear him prompt you. Remember, we started off by saying it's a still, small voice. I've never heard the Holy Spirit I would never describe him speaking to me as yelling at me, screaming at me. That is an accurate representation that when I feel guilt or when I feel um, led to do something right, it's usually a still small voice. You quench the spirit when you lie. You quench the spirit when you're angry. In verse number 26, be ye angry and sin not. I mean, there's, there's a right way to have indignation, and there's a wrong way. But let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Well, if you do, chances are you're quenching the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you make room for Satan. Neither give place to the devil. Don't, don't give Satan an opening into your life. Verse 27. You quench the Spirit when you take from others and don't provide for yourself. Let him that stole steal no more, 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. You quench the Spirit when you hurt others with your words. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And it's right after that verse, I don't have it on the screen next, but it's right after that verse that the Lord says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And then in the verse after that, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That tells me you quench the Spirit when you have a bad attitude. And then lastly, you quench the Spirit when you don't promote kindness and charity among others. Ephesians 4.32 And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So when you are not kind, tenderhearted, or forgiving, you are quenching the Spirit. And you may miss the call of God. I mean, that makes sense. If someone is living in sin, they're not going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because they're quenching the Holy Spirit. And they may have been going down a path of great usefulness to God, which would provide joy to you and to others in your life, but because you were violating God's principles and God's commandments, you quenched the Spirit and you missed it. You quench the Spirit when you fail to obey the commandments of God. So God, again, warns us, quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And don't resist the Holy Spirit. We'll close with this. When we quench not the Holy Spirit, He burns within us like a living letter written on the tablets of our hearts. Our lives are set ablaze to shine forth the truth, light, and love of God to everyone we encounter. When we do not quench the Holy Spirit, His fiery presence brings unity, blessings, and fellowship along with freedom, peace, and resurrection life. As the fire on the altar in the temple was never to go out, so we must never quench the Holy Spirit of God on the altar of our hearts. So, the Holy Spirit is not so mysterious or aloof as you might have thought. And if you are born again, let me remind you, I believe any prompting in your heart to do the right thing, the godly thing, the biblical thing, that little urge, may you come Sunday, you don't, you're tired, you don't feel like going to Sunday school. What, what's that something inside of you that says, nah, you really need to go? I, I believe that's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's very real. I think more so than what we even realize. And the Holy Spirit is so valuable in how it leads, how it calls, how it comforts. And we need all of that. So we need to make sure that 
we take to heart what God said through Paul when he said those four simple words, quench not the Spirit. So, I'm going to end where I started. You may be here thinking, that's too much on my plate. I'm not a spiritual giant. I'll just get up and go through the motions tomorrow like I do every day and get frustrated and aggravated and mad at my husband, mad at my wife, mad at the kids, mad at the boss, mad at the neighbors. Or, or you can have the maturity and the character to realize that uh, you get that way because you've quenched the spirit. You, you haven't put on the new man. You haven't done these things. And the, the, for lack of a better word, for the trouble it takes to not quench the spirit is far less trouble than you're going to have if you do quench the Spirit. So, am I asking you to step up to the plate, spend a little more time in the Bible, give, give greater consideration you know, to things that might be quenching the Spirit and trying to get victory over them? Uh, yeah, that's going to take some time, some effort, some study, some resolve. But I don't think it's going to take nearly the time and effort the problems that may come into your life because you've quenched the Spirit. So you can do it. It's going to take some effort. And some days you're going to mess up. Some days you're going to get in the flesh. You're going to get carnal. But you may lose the battle, but that doesn't mean you're going to lose the war. We won World War II, but there were battles that were lost. But the war was won. So keep fighting, keep praying. Keep coming to church. Read your Bible tomorrow morning. Be thankful for the Lord. Be thankful for the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. You know, he does so many good. I went through it quickly. But uh, he does so many wonderful things. We want him to be alive and well. Let's stand, please, as we're dismissed this evening.